Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. The situation that so many parents and so many women in particular find themselves in right now is maddening. I'm going to turn it over to Maria Altman to explain. I'm an editor here at St. Louis Public Radio. And what you need to know about journalists is that they love to complain. But during big stories, and this coronavirus pandemic is most certainly the biggest story I've ever encountered, you're expected to just tough it out and do it. But I'm also a mom to Ben, a fifth grader, and Elizabeth, a second grader. My work life came long before kids, and I'll admit I'm the type of mom who doesn't make it to school events during the day. I don't volunteer for pizza lunch or library duty, and I don't make it to school holiday parties. And I've been okay with that, because every night I make dinner for my family, help with the homework, and read bedtime stories. Sometimes those things get interrupted by a reporter who needs an edit, and I'm fine with it. I'm pretty good at juggling. Enter the coronavirus. Now I'm working from home with kids who are still technically in school, and I have to do it all at the same time. So every morning by 8 a.m., I make three lists. There's the work list, the school list, and I don't know what you really call it, the life list, So today's work list said 9.30 meeting, 10.30 call with reporters, edit manufacturer spots and web, edit web on New Bishop, and edit audio and education story. The school list was a lot longer. Spelling test, religion test, learning assessment, pages 109 through 120 in grammar book, more research on Laura Ingalls Wilder, one more math video, two worksheets, and extra math. Yes, you heard me right. The school is still assigning extra math. And the life list? Well, let's see. There's order rubber boots for kids, find guitar videos for Ben, play the piano with Elizabeth, make cookies, and order a mouse. That's a computer mouse. We do have real mice, but that's my husband's area, so not on my list. How am I coping, you ask? Well, it depends on the day. I've done a lot of complaining. Just ask my husband, and I've gotten a lot of advice. From some friends. If the kids get C's, no biggie. Just tell the school you can't do it. But the truth is, it's not fair for them to fall behind just because my husband and I work. From my mother, don't let the kids see you're stressed. Now, that's funny. And finally, on Facebook from my older brother's friend, cowboy up. And that's what I'm going to do. Push through, just do it. But I do reserve the right to complain. That was St. Louis Public Radio uh, Maria Altman, and we want to invite you to join the conversation. Are you a working mom who shares Maria's frustration? What would help you right now? Give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air. And in addition to venting our frustrations, we're also going to look for solutions. And my guest today is here to help with just that. Michelle P. King is the Director of Inclusion at Netflix. She's also the host of a podcast podcast called The Fix. She started the podcast to figure out what was holding women back. And she began to realize the problem isn't us. Instead, it's our workplaces. She discovered they were designed for men and a certain kind of man at that. And that's why, she says, the various initiatives designed to help women have a, quote, marginal impact at best. 
King's new book is The Fix, Overcome the Invisible Barriers Holding Women Back at Work. And she's here today to discuss the design flaws in the workplace blueprint, what it would take to fix them, and what that means now that the whole world is in lockdown mode. Michelle P. King, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Now, you start your book by saying that the American workplace is broken because it was designed for men. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so if we look at the history of workplaces and, you know, quite literally where they were first designed in, in my book, I sort of use the Ford Motor Company as an example of this. Um, you know, the actual blueprint of organizations when it comes down to our policies, our practices um, and our personal beliefs around how organizations should work are really set up. Um, with an ideal worker in mind. And I call that in my book, Don Draper, right? Mm -hmm. So anyone who's watched Mad Men will be familiar with sort of the 1950s white middle-class heterosexual able-bodied male. And so when we think of what good looks like when it comes to leaders and employees, we generally think of that ideal. And that's been replicated across countries, um, you know, across different contracts over the last 30 years. It's consistent. You know, when you think of what good looks like in workplaces, you're going to think of this ideal. And that's because organizations are designed for that. So, you know, it's for that reason that things like motherhood or maternity leave or parental leave are sort of an afterthought, right? Because it wasn't designed with that ideal in mind. And it's living up to that ideal, um, which creates a lot of challenges for women. So why can't women just be Don Draper? Couldn't we just take the power and, you know, have that take charge (laughs) personality and make it work the way he did? So it's very frustrating even even to have that as a question, right? So I, I and I'll share why. Firstly, um it, it's somewhat misogynistic to believe that, you know, women need to conform to a masculine ideal in order to be successful. That actually gets to the very heart of the problem, which is this belief that that ideal is what good looks like, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that ideal might have worked in the 1950s organization, but it certainly is not effective today, and it definitely won't be effective tomorrow. And we can talk about that in a minute around coronavirus and how this is playing out now. But, you know, consistently studies in HBR, they've been published all over the world, show that men and and women see women's managerial and leadership style, which is much more democratic, empathetic, as more effective, right? So the, the ideal that we have simply doesn't work. It's really a hangover from what was sort of, you know, deemed the ideal organization back in, in, in the day. Um, the second thing, though, that's really important for listeners to, to really grasp is that it's an impossible standard for women to live up to. And the reason for that is Don Draper sets a standard for what good looks like in corporations, right? To be seen as competent, you have to engage dominant, assertive, aggressive, competitive, and even exclusionary behaviors to get ahead. The problem is for women, when they do that, they defy the standards that society holds for what good looks like for women, which mm-hmm. is being meek, mild, unassuming, empathetic. And so this is what we call the conformity bind. In fact, it's one of the very first barriers women encounter at work, and it creates tremendous challenges because there's almost no right way to be a woman at work. Um, and so we really need workplaces that give women the freedom to engage in a wide range of behaviors, but importantly, also men. So something my book talks about is the challenges that living up to Don creates for men as well. Yeah, and I, I think that's an important thing uh, to touch on before we get uh, much further in this conversation. And that's that if men are listening, you make a great argument in your book that they're being victimized by this ideal as well. Uh, give me an example of, of how that works out for a man who maybe isn't Don Draper. You know, I'm so glad you asked this question because, um, you know, this was a bit of a blind spot for me as a gender equality expert, right? I'm going to own up to that. When I was writing my book, I assumed, like so many people, that the Don Draper standard worked for men. 
I mean, why wouldn't it, right? It's been in place. There's a lot of men in leadership, so it's easy to assume that it does work for men. But it was in actually conducting research over the last three years with men that I realized, you know, a lot of the diversity and inclusion efforts have failed men. Mm -hmm. And that's because they focus on sort of um, improving or fixing women, you know, developing women, advancing women at the expense of men. And there's no conversation in this around why men personally should care. Like what, what is in it for men? Why is equality sort of the best thing that's ever happened to men? And the reason it is, is because living up to Don Draper comes at a cost. So not only is it less effective today in terms of what good leadership looks like and what organizations need, but, um, you know, for men to really thrive at work, they need the freedom to engage in a wide range of behaviors. And a great example of this is, uh, you know, the femininity stigma. So when men engage in any sort of behaviors that we associate with femininity, like being more empathetic, democratic, collaborative, um, you know, they're going to be penalized. Research finds that they'll be seen as sort of less leader-like, right? And it can impact their um, sort of advancement opportunities later on. Another barrier men face is integrating work and home life. You know, research mm-hmm. finds if men reduce their work hours for family reasons, they're going to face a 26% reduction in pay, whereas women will face a 23% reduction. Hmm. So, so it's actually respects, worse for men. It's actually worse for men on that one. I mean, isn't that amazing? And it's because men are really penalized in deviating from Don. And the reason why is this is so much more challenging in many respects for men is because their identity in terms of seeing themselves as a man is really wrapped up in also living up to Don. Hmm. So it's not just a way to be seen as a leader. It's actually a way to be seen as a man. So that's why I say the best thing men can do is really to think about what it means to be a man at work and really to think about, you know, how living up to Don actually creates huge amounts of challenges. Like men can't talk about the difficulties. They can't talk about their concerns. This creates stress, depression in men. They have high suicide rates. There's really sort of far-reaching impact in terms of living in a Don Draper culture, right, a workplace environment that sort of values that can be very difficult for men. Hmm. So if men uh, tuned into this conversation, you should keep listening because this all applies to you as well. We're not just talking (laughs) about women's issues today. Um, But Michelle, I know these issues um, of that that false Don Draper model that people are being asked to to live up to. This was obviously on your radar long before the coronavirus pandemic. How does this amp things up? Uh, What kind of problems do we see now that we're all in this bizarre situation where there are no schools and we're all being forced to work from home. So I, I know this is going to sound really counterintuitive, um, but as challenging as it is, it is, and I don't want to take away from that, right? It's impossible. I mean, I have two small kids. I have a husband. We both work. It's incredibly challenging, right? Um, I do want to say, I think it's actually presenting an opportunity. Hmm. So what I mean by that is, you know, right now, the days of the Don Draper command and control style of leadership, right, that's very transactional where you tell employees what to do and you sort of micromanage them and then, you you know, there's none of that sort of empowering approach to leadership where you delegate, you let employees manage their time, you know, the results-only sort of work environment. Um, Corona's kind of brought it to a head because it's impossible to follow a command and control style of leadership. We need more inclusive leaders. We need leaders that actually see the whole person. So in my case, both my kids are having to do school, online school, while I work, right? And so I need a, somebody to work for somebody that really understands the challenges I'm going to have turning up to all the meetings or the challenges I'm going to have in terms of sometimes having to have my kid 
visible on a VC. You know, those are things that are just simply going to have to happen because I'm a whole person. And so one of the challenges with Ford Motor Company, it's not just the Don Draper piece. It's this belief that when you step into your workplace, you become the worker and your personality, your ideas, your biases, your prejudices, you sort of leave at the door. And that's simply not the case. You know, it's what I call the meritocracy myth, this idea that there's this level playing field. We're all just employees. We go to work. We'll all advance at the same rate. And that is not the case. Success discriminates and it discriminates based on who can best fit the Don Draper prototype. And so how that relates to Corona today is, you know, we're even seeing some employers, I mean, I saw an article the other day where an employer was actually requesting that um, employees dress up for video conference calls that are only internal. I mean, how ridiculous, right? And wear a suit. So it's really still trying to force fit to this prototype we have in our mind rather than giving people the freedom, you know, to show up how they need to and manage work and integrate work and home life as they need to. Um, And, you know, we can also chat about some of the challenges this creates for mothers um, because that's been hugely difficult, um, you know, in terms of balancing work and home life, balancing the emotional needs of of their kids, something I talk about in my book around the emotional tax and emotional load and the difficulty that creates. Um, so it's not just the to-do list, right? It's also really managing the emotional and social well-being of your kids that right now, you know, it's difficult. Kids are anxious. It's an anxious time. Um, so we really need to share that load at work. Um, something I talk about being bread sharers, right? If, if we're going to be able to manage this this um, particular current state in terms of integrating work and home life and working from home in an effective way. We're talking to Michelle P. King. She's the director of inclusion at Netflix, and she has a new book out called The Fix, Overcome the Invisible Barriers Holding Women Back at Work. It really calls for a lot of systemic change. And as Michelle notes, this coronavirus that has just changed so much in our society, this might lead to some of these changes she's calling for. But Michelle, at the same time, um, you know, talking to my mom friends and women who are trying to do everything right now, they just feel so overwhelmed. You talked about this idea idea of bread sharing as opposed to bread winning. How can we even begin to um, to get things to work out in the short term, even if in the long term, this could end up leading to some good things? So I think, you know, I always say this, that equality begins at home. And what I mean by that is it's really hard to have women in the workforce and have them advance and have them feel valued if at home they're carrying the lion's share of domestic childcare or dependent care sort of responsibilities, right? And so something Eve Rodsky, the author of Fair Play, and I sort of talked about at length um, is really how you can sort of share the the load at home, right? So not just the to-do list, because on average at any one time, people have about 150 items on their to-do list, particularly (laughs) women. So, you know, I don't want to take away the load just of managing all of that. But I think it's about making the invisible visible, right? So really, you know, thinking about it, I I swear to God, this is something my husband and I do. We literally write out the list of activities, right? What is it that we all need to do? And then we look at, you know, if it's roughly even based on our capacity to undertake some of that. And look, it ebbs and flows, right, in terms of who's doing what. But I think the important thing that Eve touched on in her book is it's not just about allocating um, the activity based on who's got capacity to support. It's also important to really own your tasks sort of from beginning to end because that's what creates the stress. That's what research finds really leads to that mental load. Hmm. So a great example of this, and I always tease my husband, is you know when when your husband he, he takes his dishes to the dishwasher but then leaves it you know on the counter <laughs> rather than putting it. In I, I'm laughing for a reason here. <laughs> 
<laughs> or, you know, the laundry basket will have sort of the clothing right next to it, not inside. You know, just things where you're like, see the task through, right? So you really want to do that at home um, because that then really helps manage it. The other thing I'll say is on the emotional load, right? So this is the managing the social and emotional well-being of your kids. That's something that really leads to sort of issues in terms of marriage satisfaction and job satisfaction when women have to manage both the to-do list and then really be concerned and think about the social and emotional well-being of their kids, whether it's friends, whether it's the happiness at school in general, whatever it is, that's what really breaks the camel's back, right? That's what Mm. makes it just too hard for women to manage. And so you really need to think about that as well. And I'll give you a quick example. Something my husband and I do with tasks is it's very easy on a to-do list to just be like, okay, well, this is evenly split. But for me, I always say to him, you know, at night, I spend about an hour with my daughter and my son just chatting in their beds about their day, playing back sort of any challenges they've had at school with friends. And, you know, that is the emotional load. That's investing time and energy in understanding, you know, the mental and emotional well-being of your kids. And right now, that is really tricky, right? Because kids Mm -hmm. are anxious. And this is unsettling. It's a different way of doing school. We don't know when this is going to end. It's very taxing. So I think we really need to think about both buckets and, you know, how you allocate that fairly. So that's what I mean about the invisible, you know, how do we make that visible at home? So something like that, where you're putting that emotional time in to to sit there and talk to the kids, that needs to count in your bucket. Um, A husband needs to be aware that 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 counts. Um, You're not just doing nothing while he's clearing out the dishwasher. Exactly. And, you know, we've got it pretty well split. Like he's good with the to-do list and I'm good with the emotional support. And that's sort of how we support each other. Like I'm really bad at administration, right? So he fills in all the forms. Like we just really try and split it in a way that makes sense um, for us. So your book, I mean, it has just a lot of insights in here um, that I would I would recommend that people need to give this a read, not just women, uh, men as well. I want to end on just one note that I saw in your book. It just made me feel a little bit better. I think we're all feeling like we're not doing everything we should do right now. We're stretched too thin and we're dropping the ball. You actually found a study in here. It was by the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis that found mm-hmm. women with kids actually outperform women without kids in the workplace. And they outperform men, too. Um, And so people who have these dual roles, people are maybe doing better than they realize. Yeah, look, I mean, I would say right now, if you look at all the research on this, right, the worst thing we can do is punish ourselves. So it's very challenging. I mean, I work in a team where I'm the only one with small kids. And so, you know, trying to give people an opportunity to hear my lived experience day to day is and try to get them to empathize with that is important. And that's why this, you know, coronavirus is really providing leaders with an opportunity to lead, right? So when you're in your team meetings, invite people to share their different experiences, ask people how they're feeling. Those things really matter because it's how we see each other and it creates the empathy needed to help manage that. So, you know, um, my colleagues might be more aware of when they're scheduling meetings or if it's something that I can support with or, you know, it's just really thinking about the individuals in your team. Are people alone? Mm -hmm. Uh, Do people have elderly parents they're caring for? You know, every situation is different and we need to be able to show up and be ourselves and be a whole person right now. And if we don't do that, That's where the stress of what you're talking about comes into play. So that's where this feeling of I'm not doing enough. So ask yourself the question, are you not doing enough in terms of your home life and managing all of this? Or are you not doing enough in terms of trying to live up to the Don Draper ideal? 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's really important to think about that as we move through this. You know, there's no right way to manage coronavirus right now. You just have to do what you can do to get through each day and not internalize the challenges that you're experiencing, right? And that's really what my book talks to. Don't internalize these barriers you're encountering every day because that's where your confidence, your self-esteem, your well-being is being knocked. You're doing the best you can do. So just hang in there. Well, Michelle P. King, thank you for those words. I feel so much better just hearing them. And, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And again, Michelle is the author of The Fix, Overcome the Invisible Barriers Holding Women Back at Work. She's also the host of The Fix podcast. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. That's 90.7 KWMU. Gateway brings you the day's news each weekday from around the St. Louis region and the state capitals in Jefferson City. Our schools are accredited. We don't need this bill. And Springfield. How many more years must pass before lawmakers see time is of the essence? I'm Abby Larico. Join me each weekday for The Gateway on the STLPR app or wherever you get podcasts.